In an age of moral bankruptcy, political sleaze, theological confusion, and aimless religion in a mindless church, we're addressing the need for a Bible-based, intellectually rigorous 21st century Christian faith. This is Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge. You gotten your 40-day fix? Millions and millions of people are turning to the Purpose Driven Life. Their 40-day fix to reduce their stress, simplify their decisions, increase their satisfaction, and most importantly, prepare them for eternity. Have you gotten that 40-day fix? Well, if you have, let me tell you, it's just like a bad drug. You get addicted to it. You want more and more, but in the end, it bites you. We'll tell you why the Purpose Driven Life is dangerous tonight on Sinners and Saints. Hi, this is Pastor Biro of Grace Evangelical Church in Torrance. We are a new Reformed church serving all of South Bay. As a member of the United Reformed Churches of North America, Grace Evangelical Church emphasizes the preaching of the gospel, weekly administration of the Lord's Supper, catechism of our children, and emphasis on the singing of the Psalms, all in a family-friendly atmosphere. Come, worship with us. You can reach us at area code 310-782-7019. You're listening to Sinners and Saints on 99.5 FM, KKLA. Hi, this is Reverend John Sautel, pastor of Congregational Life and Outreach at First United Reformed Church of Chino. We are a Protestant, Bible-based, family-oriented church committed to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are located just off the 60 freeway at Mountain Avenue in Chino. We worship at 10 a.m. and 6.30 p.m. every Sunday. If you'd like more information about our church, give us a call at 866-99-UNITED. That's 866-99-UNITED. We welcome you tonight to Sinners and Saints. I'm Adam Kalustian with John Sautel and Moses Jambazian. We're co-hosts of the program and pastors in local United Reformed Churches, Ontario, Chino, and Pasadena. We're glad you're with us. We're talking about this bestseller, over 11 million copies. 11 million copies on the New York Times bestseller list for a long time. It's The Purpose Driven Life, written by Rick Warren. And you've all seen the signs around the local churches, 40 Days of Purpose, where we have, as a congregation, committed to reading through one chapter of this book each day. It's all over the place. It's very popular, so of course it must be good. It must be good. All you have to do is look at the cover of this book. Look at all the people who are endorsing this book. You would think this is the best thing that has ever happened because you've got Billy Graham. You've got his son, Franklin Graham, who's taken over from him. You've got Max Lucado, who writes more Christian books than almost anybody else on the planet. Oh, wait, wait. Max Lucado liked this? The great apologist Lee Strobel endorses the book. The point is everybody is endorsing this. But how can you deny that this is a great movement of God? There are so many people who are buying this and so many lives that are being changed. Well, that's exactly it. It's not just that churches are trying it, that... Pop evangelical leaders like it and say it's good for you. The product endorsements seem to tell the whole story. Uh, One particular product endorsement on the Purpose Driven website reads as follows. I've been a believer and born-again Christian most all my life, was involved in Campus Crusade for Christ while in college, and have since then a good understanding of what the Christian life means. However, After graduating and starting a career and family, I began to ignore and reject what I knew was God's will for my life. 
placing my plans and goals ahead of those I fully knew were more in line with God's will for me. And as a result, I struggled for almost 20 years with the guilt and feelings of alienation from my Lord, not being involved in church or seeking to follow Him. In the past few years, I have suffered through the loss of both my parents, extreme pressures of a job transfer and relocation, a divorce, the loss of a very profitable job, and the loss of a really good relationship. Feeling at the very lowest part of my adult life, I began attending a local church, got involved in a Bible study, and heard about this Bible series. Yeah, and he goes on to say now, I must say this is completely turned around my life. I no longer suffer the fear of my future. I'm relearning again the priceless importance of living and walking daily with Christ in accordance with His will. But this is the best part. I'm still not employed, but have the confidence that the Lord will soon work me, work out, and lead me to the next position He has for me. Unbelievable. His relationships are in shambles. <laughs> He lost his job. He's my, living in a cardboard box. I can't play my alimony and my child support. <laughs> but my kid's strung out I on drugs. I have a daily walk with God. And I got a desire to remain with him <laughs> that I lost. <laughs> I'm, we're not laughing at this man. We're not trying to laugh at his misery. The, the reason we're laughing is because we've looked at the book. We know what it says. And we're hearing all the same nonsense that's out there at every motivational seminar. But because it's been baptized by Rick Warren with some Christian words, this man thinks he has an insight from Scripture. And we're laughing at the patheticness of believing that this is true. While we do believe God controls everything, we don't believe that this book actually explains it at all. And that's what really is troubling us. That's why we want to talk about this. It's not hard to say a few choice words, a few motivational words to people in the world who are hurting and suffering and overwhelmed by stress and have too many responsibilities and have complicated situations in their life. And to get them all riled up and to get them to think that now all of a sudden they have control over it, the question is, is that type of motivation legitimate? Are the truths that are taught in the purpose-driven life the way in which Jesus would approach uh, lost and hurting sinners in the world. And, and we laugh at it, but w we have a serious problem because the people like this man who are really hurting are not being met with what they really need, which is the law and the gospel uh, preached and explained to them. But they're basically Christian self-help is what they're getting. Well, and the reason why they're taking this, the reason why it's so popular and the reason why uh, people look to it as having the credentials that it needs to have in order to be something they can follow for their life is because the so-called raging success that this book has met with, particularly at the Saddleback Church, one way they tout this book and try to underscore its credentials and its authority is by saying, this is what happened. When we did the 40 Days of Purpose, we have 671 baptisms, 1,200 new members, 2,200 people now are mobilized to lay ministry that weren't before. 2,400 home Bible study groups, 25,000 of friends, neighbors, and co-workers to attend those. Those are the neighbors of the people who were leading them for six weeks. Wouldn't you call that a miracle? No, we wouldn't call that a miracle because if you're just looking at sheer numbers, again, there's lots of organizations, lots of religions, lots of other things with big numbers. That's not the point. The question is, is it biblical? Is it truthful? And while Rick Warren claims that his work is, I have real problems with his claim. And that's what we need to look at. Not whether it's effective, but is it true? Because that's the whole thing that we see in Scripture again and again is its value in truth, not in numbers. Well, the, yeah, the premise lying behind it is that the results tell the story. Results mean it's right. No, Therefore, that's American marketing talking, it, not well, the Scripture. It's sure pragmatism. If it works, it must be good. If it works, it must be useful. It must be what we should do. And that is, seems to be the logic which is behind not just Saddleback doing this, 
not just 11 million copies being sold, but the staggering quote of over 1,000 Reformed, Lutheran, and Episcopalian congregations participating in the 40 Days of Purpose. Yeah, the sad part is so many people who supposedly belong to the true church have given up on the foundation, Christ the cornerstone, the teachings of the apostles and the prophets, and now they are looking for anything, anything at all out there that can somehow be validly considered Christian, and then trying to use that and using the tricks and the methods to try to draw people in. And now, what we're not saying is that Christian churches shouldn't want to grow. I mean, we're not saying that confessional churches like Reformed and Presbyterian churches shouldn't have an interest in trying to reach out and bridge out to their community and bring people in so they can sit under the Word of God, but this is just another one of those gimmicks that's out there, it seems to me, and we're being duped by it in our own confessional communions. And it'll fade away. And one of the things now that's happening, you get the Gallup polls and things like that. People are looking at what's going on and they're seeing, you know, as often as these people are drawing in people from the front door, you've got as many people exiting from the back door. It's already been around long enough for people to see it's not really effective long term. It's a pyramid scheme, if you will and it's just going to collapse under its own weight. Rick Warren says something interesting. He said, For six months I shut myself away from everyone for 12 to 14 hours a day to meet with God and to write. I often wept as I wrote each chapter, sensing that the Holy Spirit was guiding me as I struggled to explain God's purposes for our lives in the simplest ways. It was an exhausting spiritual battle, and the only thing that kept me writing was my passion for the global glory of God. Well, see, the problem is that Americans only want to hear, and they only have the attention span to hear, things very simple. It's not as if in this book, Rick Warren simplifies deep theological truths for everybody to hear. What he does is he waters down and he oversimplifies. He changes things to make them palatable to simple-minded and foolish unbelievers and puts that in the guise of the old Christian faith on which we stand. We come back, we're going to explain more about how that happens on Sinners and Saints. Reformation Radio. Theology with an edge. Come to worship God at the Pasadena United Reformed Church. Worship Him in spirit and in truth. Hear the gospel faithfully preached. Rejoice in the God of your salvation. Come and join us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. We are located at 226 West Colorado in Arcadia off the Santa Anita exit of the 210 freeway. Call us at 866-99-UNITED or visit us at urcsocal.org. Welcome back to Sinners and Saints. We're talking about the purpose-driven life. Now, I saw a review, and this is what it said. The purpose-driven life is Christianity for grade schoolers. The style is elementary, the sentences short, the print large, the chapters brief, the theology shallow, and the structure overly simplified. For those seeking a spiritual feast in the purpose-driven life, Leave the fork at home. A straw is all you need. Now, some of you might be saying, well, that just sounds like the uh, message uh, or critique of a professional writer or a professional theologian. But here's one that I got off of uh, Amazon.com. The guy says, I guess this is a good book if you've never heard this stuff before. But most of the stuff is just common sense. And I don't want to take away from the good intentions behind it. God bless good intentions. I just got bored reading it. Our critique is that it's not merely that it's simplified. We believe it's actually a distortion. Important things are left out. In fact, his whole concept for why he wrote 40 Days of Purpose is just beyond ridiculous. He says that 40 days is a standard number in Scripture for how things are done by God. 
But then the examples he gives don't really make a lot of sense. Yeah, okay, here he begins in page 9, the, the opening of the book. He says, the Bible is clear that God considers 40 days to be a spiritually significant time frame. 40 is significant. Obviously, it's used by God. But I think what you need to see is itself within the redemptive historical context, not as some gimmick for marketing. And here is that rigorous biblical argument for 40 days of purpose. Noah's life was transformed because of 40 days of rain. The spies were transformed by 40 days in the promised land. Elijah was transformed when God gave him 40 days of strength from a single meal. The entire city of Nineveh was transformed when God gave the people 40 days. Jesus was empowered. 40 days in the wilderness. And but these don't even fit because in some of these cases, they're not even relevant. For well, that, example, the 40 days of rain. That didn't transform Noah. Noah had already been working on God's commands for 600 years. Well, in fact, the Bible already declared that Noah was righteous before the 40 days of rain ever come down. And then the one about the spies going to the promised land for 40 days, that actually transforms them to apostates. Ten of the 12 come back and they tell the people, don't listen to God. So statistically, you're in trouble if you buy this 40 days argument. If you begin to read the text, <laughs> you might find yourself in the position of being worse off than when you started. Yeah, this, but it just shows a broader point how does how does he use the scripture i mean because particular people have been you know gone through something that took 40 days does not make it a biblical principle that god has something special about 40 days for you in order to transform your your life this is such a ridiculous petty stupid disrespectful use of the scripture yeah but this is the problem this book touts to be saturated with scripture it uh, boasts of 1,200 quotes from more than 12 different English versions. If, if that is giving this the mantle and the cloak of divine authority because we have 12 different scripture texts being quoted from in here. But actually, it shows a problem here in that different scripture translations use different principles to try to make it more readable for a younger audience, an older audience, a more technical reading versus a more smooth reading. By having to choose from so many different things, what he's done is shown that nothing really supports his argument. In fact, he has to try to cobble together all these atomistic parts and pieces and then hopefully bring out something that supports him. But it doesn't. Well, what you can see pretty clearly is that he'll find, he'll have a point, and he'll try and find the English translation or something in which the way is worded to somehow support what he's saying. And this is just absurd. I mean, this is dishonest. Well, it's me, not using the Scripture genuinely. Right. Let me share with you one of my favorite ones, Matthew eighteen twenty, where two or three are gathered together uh, in my name. There I am in the midst of them. And guess what? This is the biblical basis for. Let me guess. Small groups? Yeah, that's right. Small groups. God has made an incredible promise about small groups of believers. And then he goes on to quote from Matthew eighteen twenty. But of course, that one is for church discipline. That is when the apostles or those who succeed them, the elders and ministers of the church, gather together and exclude someone by excommunication then God is there affirming that action. So what you're saying is maybe when these small groups meet together, it can actually be a dangerous thing because God's coming in judgment to exercise the keys of the kingdom. Yeah, and the examples abound like this. The other thing I enjoyed that he does is that he will actually take only half a verse or just a few lines from one verse. So he quotes Proverbs 16, 4, The Lord has made everything for his own purposes kind of an exciting thing. It's like, you have purpose. He's made everything for his own purpose, but he doesn't even complete the verse in the translation he's using. The Lord has made everything for its own purpose, even the wicked for the day of destruction, for evil. Okay, well, 
he doesn't bother with that part. So you're twisting scripture when you do this because he's not preparing people to understand God is a just God who is also wrathful against the wicked. Instead, he makes everybody just try to feel good. But feeling good isn't the point. The point is knowing right. Well, that gets back to the whole idea of God here. You have this purpose-driven life, and this is God's will and God's plan for you. Almost no doctrinal uh, articulation of who God is. The only time God comes into the picture in this entire book, this benevolent, fatherly, grandfatherly guy in the sky with hands folded and just loving and merciful, there's absolutely no indication in this book that God hates sin, that God's holy, that God's righteous, that God has demands that he places upon your life that aren't just... Well, uh, to be fair, there is some allusion to it occasionally. Like he talks about getting saved, but it's so vague that it really doesn't give you... It doesn't do justice to who God is. And yeah, we're going to expand on that. The uh, lack of biblical foundation and justification in this book that's supposedly in the name of Christ and in his word. When we come back... This is Sinners and Saints. Theology with an edge. Are you looking for a church that values the Word of God and the rediscovery of its riches in the Protestant Reformation? Hi, I'm Pastor Adam Kalustian. I want to invite you to join us at the Ontario United Reformed Church. We worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. and 5.30 p.m. Take the Euclid Avenue exit off the 60 freeway, go north one block to Philadelphia Street, turn right, and you'll see us. That's the Ontario United Reformed Church, 866-99-UNITED. All right, we're back on Sinners and Saints, and we want to focus our critique here, probably the most important question that we have about the book, and that is what gospel is presented? What is Rick Warren's view, supposedly simplified so that everybody can understand, of how a person might be right with God? We're looking on page 34 of the book. One day, Rick Warren says, you will stand before God, and he will do an audit of your life, a final exam, before you enter eternity. Fortunately, God wants us to pass this test, so he has given us the questions in advance. First, what did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? And second, what did you do with what I gave you? Now, here's the answer, he says, first of all, is God doesn't care about your religious background or your doctrinal views. Hold it. Why would God give us that doctrine if he doesn't care about our views. Because all he wants, he says on page 58, is for you to have a relationship with Jesus. What is, okay, again, relationships are manifold. There are many different types of relationships out there. That does mean no good whatsoever. Right, well, one way in which you can have a relationship to Jesus is he can be your judge. He can also <laughs> be my enemy. I can right, despise exactly. him. Who is not for me is against me. He can be the one I practice my hammer swinging on. I mean, it's like we crucified Christ. We have a relationship when you murder him. You're the murderer. He's the victim. None of these are what you need, however, to be saved. Right. What you need is a changed relationship. And unfortunately, and this is why this is so important in this book, you know, because we're not just critiquing the idea that he gets the gospel wrong. What you need is to have the gospel as the foundation for how you live the Christian life. If you really want to live a purpose-driven life, a God-glorifying, God-centered vision of what it means to live for God, you need to have the gospel to provide the foundation. And unfortunately, the best he comes up with is ask Jesus into your life. Pray a simple prayer. And in order to have the gospel, you have to understand the law first. It's not like God sends Jesus to us who are neutral. 
The point is we already have a relationship with God, and that is that we hate him. We hate God, and we sin against him day by day, and he is terribly angry with our sins. This is never clearly articulated in this. And we cannot understand the gospel without first understanding that our relationship to God is that of enemies. Right. And so how do you overcome this relationship of you being God's enemy and Christ being your judge? Well, here's how he leads us to Jesus. He says, wherever you are reading, I want you to stop, bow your head and quietly whisper the prayer that will change you for eternity. Jesus, I believe in you and I receive you. But who is this Jesus? That's never articulated. Who is this one that I'm supposed to believe in? And what am I believing? Moses, Moses, Moses. You just got to learn to love and trust him. See, this is the problem. You make it too difficult. People are No, 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 no. No, People are not going to understand you guys. You're right. No, he says God doesn't care about your doctrinal views. Then why is he revealing anything? I don't care what you believe is the son of God. Moses, John, he wants you to pass the test. That's right. The test is the most important thing. It's a two-question test, though. Is it like, is it 100% we have to get, or is it? can we just go one of the two? I hope there's a good right? curve on this. Test, all right, all right, all right, all right. Let's not make it complicated. Let's just pray. Let's do the prayer that he lays out for us. How does that read again? That which is out there whom I don't know, I accept something that I do I not understand. I believe you. Force X in the universe, I believe you, and I receive you. Where does that come from? I receive X amount of you. I receive you in volume, in length. I receive, receive you in what? weight. Like, now, now, I know what you're thinking out there. You're seeing we're being overly critical, and he does believe in Jesus, and he believes in sin, and that Jesus saved us from No, he sins. never says he believes something. in sin. Let me tell you something, though. What did you do with my son, Jesus Christ, was one of the questions. Did you accept what Jesus did for you, and did you learn to love and trust him? This is confusing the law and the gospel. Believing on Christ for salvation is not having a trusting, obedient relationship, living my life in a way that's pleasing. That's different from believing that Christ's blood paid the penalty for your sin and that his perfect life is credited to you apart from any of your own deserving or works or any of that. And that is confused. That clear gospel gets confused and muddled, this attempt to supposedly simplify it. Right, and the laughable thing here is that he says that he has actually been accused by some of being too Calvinistic or sounding too Calvinistic in his presentation well, of the that, gospel. That's only because people think that Calvinism means you just pray the sinner's prayer, then you're eternally safe, so you can go out sinning as much as you want. Which absolutely no Calvinist, no true Calvinist believes, by the way. You, you want to know what a Calvinist believes? A Calvinist <laughs> believes that he's saved by the imputation of Christ's righteousness to his count, the covering over of all of his sins through the blood of Jesus Christ, through his atonement on the cross, and he receives all of that by faith, not by asking Jesus into his heart or asking Jesus into his life. Not by living a trusting life or doing good things. Having my daily quiet time. Reducing my stress. We are saved when God makes us born again through the work of the Spirit for his glory. That's what we believe. Sinners saved by grace through the instrument of faith, which is the new life which the Spirit gives us. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if some of what we say, some of our critique might even sound a little bit strange to you. You know why? Because you've been taught to have a dumbed down version of Christianity. You've been told that if it's not simple, the first time you hear it, 
you won't be able to get it. Well, listen, yeah, the scripture's difficult sometimes. That's why we want you to stand on the Christian faith of old. That's why we want you to get to church. And we don't promise you less stress in your life. And we don't promise you all easiness. We don't promise you that this is all going to become immediately clear to you after 40 days of spending, you know, one hour a day in your prayer closet. We are going to tell you that we will preach the word of God to you as it is in truth. We will help you answer the difficult questions of your faith. We will help you to clearly understand how Christ has saved you and made you right with your Heavenly Father. Come back here us next week on Sinners and Saints. Join us next week as we tackle more topics with the truth of God's Word on Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge. For more information, call 866-99-UNITED or log on to the web at urcsocal.org. That's 866-99-UNITED.